Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. With such a limited time. To enjoy your watercraft, don't waste any of it worrying about how to protect your property in the event of accident or theft. Let Wyatt Dowling ensure you are properly covered. Leave your worries at the door, people. Uh, remember, Ray would Ray would agree with all of this, by the way. All points marine uh, coverage, all risk, agreed value protection, claims paid without depreciation. And for now, seeing as it's November, winterization, freezing, and vermin coverage on their watercraft. Three-year three year new model replacement, allpointsinsurance.ca, 1-800-757-757. Five seven six eight. Thanks to those guys. Thanks for you people for listening. On to the show. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Pulp Hockey Podcast with Ray Ferraro. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. And uh, let's get right to it. Uh, the man on the phone, former NHLer, turned TSN color analyst, Ray Ferraro. What's up, Ray? How are you? I'm doing good. A couple of days at home and uh, off to Toronto uh, for the Leafs and Devils on Thursday and. Um, you know, kind of a kind of a good week, kind of a good week at home. I am off to Paris tomorrow. I got a race uh, this weekend. I have to cover, and then I am going down to Venice to go uh, to a boot manufacturer. So I will be gone about a week. So, uh, my so year- you're going to get new boots in Venice. <laughs> Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. Most people don't do that. They just go to the mall right. or they order them or something. But yeah, no, so there's a there's a you world. Must, you must have a you must have a a, a real love relationship oh, with your feet. The Italian leather, right? The Italian leather. I tell you, uh, no, it's a, a worldwide famous company called Alpine Stars, and uh, they make a bunch of leather suits and leather boots and things. And they're based out of Italy, Italy, and uh, so there's they're telling me, hey, come on down and we'll show you the plant and the manufacturing process. So. I'm going to Europe, so should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, well, good for you. But I'm, I have to. I'm going to. I'm going to Toronto <laughs> again, right? Um, speaking of flying, though, I got to do that tomorrow, and you're doing it uh, tonight or tomorrow. Um, yep. I can't handle this. Look, I love dogs. We have we have three dogs. We work with the rescue here. Uh, you and I, Ray, have talked about it. You're not a huge fan of dogs, but you have one. No. Um, yeah. And, but I cannot stand these people bringing these dogs on the planes. I really can't. And, again, this is coming from a dog lover. It's out of hand. And this morning, Ray, I saw it on ABC News. A woman got kicked off the flight because she brought a 40- to 50-pound emotional support pig onto the airplane. Good God. Yeah. Like, seriously. Now, I, I, I get the anxiety that people feel. And mm-hmm. in some cases, they, you know, they're... Um, their pets um, give them great comfort. I'm absolutely sympathetic with that. I, I 100% am. However, when I'm sitting on a plane for a seat that I've purchased, at no point does it say anywhere on my ticket, you might be next to a pig <laughs> right. that weighs 50 pounds. Yes. Um, even, even when I see... Um, you know, they, they have the, like the people that have the little dogs yep. that fit in their little carry-on thingies. 
you know, like there's there's a little mesh thing yeah, at one yeah, end yeah. for air and yeah. all that stuff. And I, I'm okay if that's under their feet. And but when they take the dog out and it's on their lap, mm-hmm. I'm like, it's not a farm. It's a plane. Like I don't I don't I don't quite understand how that's okay. I don't get the rules. I don't get. There are certain things. You're in a tube. There's not much room. No, I somewhat, somewhat respectful of everybody else. Yet, if you need it for comfort, then it, like everything else, it should fit in the overhead bin or under your seat. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. I don't get it. I don't get where these people. I've seen it over and over. As of you, Ray. Um, it's a, it's a it's a chocolate lap. It's a golden retriever, and it's sitting between the people's legs and the passengers. Like, what if you're there's there's a real people up there who have a real fear of dogs who have been bitten when they were younger. I know a guy. He he seriously has some uh, issues with dogs. He got bit when he was younger, and I understand that. I completely get that. What if you're one of those people and you have to sit next to a fifty pound golden lab? Who's you know the most friendly thing in the world? But whatever, you have to sit now. Now your fear is being overlooked of dogs. Like, what I, if you're I, allergic? Yes, yes. So the guys, right? like, a pass- I don't get it. Like, ah, oh, go ahead. So oh, a, pa- just, a passenger oh. said, a passenger said he thought the woman with the pig was carrying a duffel bag when she got on the plane and headed straight for the empty seat next to him. He says it turns out it wasn't a duffel bag. We could smell it, and it was a pig on a leash. She tethered it to the armrest next to me and started to deal with her stuff, but the pig was walking back and forth. I was terrified because I was thinking I'm going to be on a plane with a pig. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, no thanks. <laughs> like, no, that's not. Look, I, I, there are certain things on a plane that, you know, I, I just, I can't, I can't deal with. <laughs> and sometimes you're like, okay, look, it's a, there's 300 people on this plane. You sit there, you stay in your space. About two weeks ago, I'm on a plane. The guy beside me sneezes, like a a big sneeze. Mm-hmm. And he's got, you know, he fortunately covered up his nose and mouth, but yeah. he sneezed kind of into his hand. Mm-hmm. He wipes it on the armrest between us. <laughs> I'm like, st- so right away I go, stop it. Clean that up. And he goes, you said he something? Looks at me, I'm like, oh, I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, you just wiped your snot on the armrest. <laughs> <laughs> and we kind of like we're sitting there, and so I ding, I hit the, the uh-huh. call button. I'm like, can we get a rag or something here, like a <laughs> thing to clean this off? And so I would say it wasn't the the most comfortable couple hours. I was just waiting for the guy to, I don't know what was going to come out of him next. The other ones, I, here's another one I can't get. Yeah. So people fly and they take their shoes off, so they get their bare feet on the armrest. Right, I think that's kind of gross. But then they'll walk into the bathroom. Yeah. What do you think the percentage of urine is or, on the floor? Or God knows what else, packed? right? Or what else? Yeah. <laughs> like you're like seriously, you walking in there with bare feet? Is that not like? I, I'm not. I'm not a germaphobe by yeah. any stretch. That grosses me out to no end. <laughs> and I would say one other thing, because then I want to hear your complaint. Yeah. When people walk on the plane and they're in row, whatever, mm-hmm. 17, and they walk to row 24, and then they realize that they've gone back past row 17, the, the rows aren't randomly numbered. They're in order. 
If you get to 12, <laughs> chances are 13 is next. Coming up. It's not 26. Yeah. yeah, it's coming up. There's no road signs. And then they try, they they put their stuff in the overhead bin, three bags, something under the seat. And I'm like, how is that not even, like, dealt with somewhere yeah. else? Like, you can bring a mobile home on pretty much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know why it bugs me. I should just go sit in my seat and shut up, but it bugs it, me. You don't want to be one of those elitists, right? But both of you and I get upgraded quite a bit, and uh, it's better up there, everybody. <laughs> it's better. It, it is, yeah. <laughs> um, there's, there's less chance for chaos, put yeah, it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, my, my huge pet peeve is just when the, when the buzzer goes off and we've landed and you run to the front. Like, oh, that gets me so pissed off. Like, look, every, there's, a, there's a sequence here. We're all on. We're all deboarding. You, you know. Sometimes they'll tell you, "Hey, people got connections," and I get that. But when you when you yeah. don't when you don't hear that, and people just get up and they just block your way out of the aisle, or when you I'm I'm a window guy, so I'm in the window. When my seat, when the guy in the aisle doesn't get up right away, and just sits there, I'm like, okay, we all need to get up. And then soon, if he sits there long enough, then people jam the front, and now can, can we deplane? <laughs> and you're can, jammed against the window. Yeah. yeah. Can we yeah, just? Yeah. All follow the procedure for deplaning. It's like merging on a you know on a, on a freeway or whatever. Just one by one. No, by that one. seems uh. to be challenging, man. That seems uh, to be challenging. I'll tell you what, but emotional support pig. I lost it this morning. Uh, I can't yeah, believe that's it. A, that was a good one. I'm glad you sent me that one. Uh, all right, hey, let's get into uh, some hockey. I want to talk about the Hall of Fame. Uh, we got Kevin Weeks coming up, former NHL goalie. And Ray, you would have battled Weeks when he was with the Hurricanes, and you were with the Thrashers. Yeah, and I remember him from Vancouver and yeah. Weeks in New York. Weeksy bounced around a little bit. He became um, one of those goalies that was always a two. He was, for a stretch, he was really close to being a one mm-hmm. or a one A. And then he got into being a two. And like goalies that fashion relatively long careers in that role, you just go, you work hard, you do your thing, you get 20 starts or 25 starts. And, uh, you know, we've had Jamie McLennan on here. Uh, before, and Noodles built a career like that. It's not an easy gig because you don't get to play a lot to get into a rhythm, but you got to do your work. You got to be there. And if guys want to do extra shooting, they're not shooting it on the, on the starter. You're the yeah, guy. Yeah. And uh, Weeks, he was able to build a long career out of that. I looked at his, uh, his hockey DB. He played b- with Luongo in Florida. He played with Hank in, uh, in Rangers. He played with Brodeur in New Jersey. You know, he certainly had some, some all-timers uh, in front of him. You know? Oh, yeah. So. He, he saw some decent people in, uh, playing, uh, playing in front of him, for yeah. sure. So, Kevin Weeks, NHL Network. He's good on the NHL Network, too. Lots of enthusiasm, man. He's really excited. So, it, it's cool. I'm looking forward to having him on. Um, all right. So, weirdest game of the week uh, might have been last night, uh, for people who are listening to this, Tuesday. Uh, Vancouver can't get the power play going lately. Uh, the Kings are on a roll and have the number one uh, penalty killing unit and uh, take a two nothing lead like five minutes into the game, something like that. And yep, yep. and uh, then Vancouver comes back and scores two on the power play and wins the game. Weirdest game of the week. Well, it's you know you you think that some things are starting to form a trend and <laughs> and then the trend gets upset, tipped on its ear. Yep. And um, you know. Uh, the the thing the thing with Vancouver here, of course, I live there, and um, you know, people are all over the map in their enthusiasm or in their fear that this team's going to crash and burn. But they're they're a team that's that's developing. They're a team that's got a new style of play. They're a team that's got a new coach. Um, 
And to be good, they have to play at about 90% of their capabilities. Mm-hmm. And when they come 5 or 10% off that, it's not enough in most cases for them. So it's a really hard way to play and to be successful. And so they had played a couple of games where they got absolutely nothing going. Mm-hmm. And then they go to L.A. and they, although they will tell you, they, they lost 5 nothing in San Jose. Yeah. And they really carried much of the play. Yep. They gave up three shorthanded goals, two of them into an empty net. <laughs> right. And one of them on a penalty shot that shouldn't have been a penalty shot. Can we, so can it's we, kind of a goofy look. What about that you call? Know, to the, what about that call? That was awful. What? what that was awful. What did, what did he do? I, oh, my God. That's the well, worst whatever call he did. Whatever he did, he did it at center ice. <laughs> like, it was, oh. I don't know. It was a, I never got the call, but by that point, the game was right. done anyway. Right. So, so Vancouver comes back. They get two power play goals. Um, uh, Henrik Sedin gets a kind of a lucky goal, but an assist as well. There haven't been too many two point nights for mm-hmm. for him to start the first quarter of the season. Uh, Horvat got a power play goal. He's fine. You know they've got him in front of the net. They've moved their personnel around, and and they come up with a win. Now they come home and they play Vegas, and Vegas had uh, Lagasse in goal, and he got hurt last oh, night. Oh boy, yeah. And so now they've got an 18-year-old Dylan Ferguson, who they called up from Kamloops, who played about 10 minutes last night in relief. Unless Lagasse is okay, Thursday in Vancouver, it's going to be this 18-year-old. Like it is. And who crazy. backs him up? And who backs him up? Well, they're going to have to find. I don't know. Find somebody, I guess. Oh. And and so it's um it's a crazy circumstance for them. The other side of that game last night, though. Mm-hmm. Is um, L.A. has hit the skids here a little bit. Um, they kind of quietly, they got off 9-0-1, and then they're, I believe they're 1-5-2 since. And, you know, they, mm-hmm. the, they were, they've been able to wallpaper over the loss of Jeff Carter with some really good play from Adrian Kempe, but Kempe is not Carter. And eventually, you knew that was going to come back and bite them, mm-hmm. and they they really miss him right now. I mean, um, well, they miss him all the time, but you know they're playing Kopitar over twenty minutes a night. That just can't keep going. That's going to get to be too much for him. And yep. but they're still, I think they're probably a month away or or longer yep. from a return of Jeff Carter. Yeah, uh, you you said a few weeks ago on the show, you're like, okay, you can carry it for a bit, but a guy like Jeff Carter, you're going to miss him. You know, eventually. Yeah. Now, this yeah. is where the analytics community will tell you that you know, um, <laughs> you know, they'll they'll give you some number to it. Right. And there are numbers that are important, um, and there's other things that are just common sense. And the common sense is Jeff Carter is a is a terrific player. Yeah. And whatever the numbers tell us about how they're doing, and they were doing, you know, they weren't giving up many shots. They were getting a lot of shots. They were scoring three goals a game. Eventually, a loss of a player of Carter's stature just just cripples the team. Uh, speaking of goalies for Vegas, maybe Zach Fucali can say, uh, hey, can I go to Vegas? Because clearly the Montreal Canadiens do not have any faith in him. Clearly. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the fact that they went and picked up Antti Niemi, who's right. been playing dodgeball for two years, um, you know, like they, they said uh, – you know, Mark Bergevin said it gives them a little bit of a safety net, and that safety net's got some holes in it. You know, I mean, it just the days are, you know, yeah. his days as an effective NHL goalie are, you know, seem to be behind him. Fukali was a, 
a high draft pick a right. couple of years ago, five, four years ago, and he just, you know, I mean, he just hasn't been able to get it done. But, and and so you're right. I mean, clearly they don't they don't have any intention of playing <laughs> no, him. You've got to really wonder if you're Zach Fukali exactly uh, how what you're standing in the organization is. Like, you, you can't throw me in, really? You, you can't. You should be wondering. <laughs> you shouldn't be wondering. You should know. Right. Absolutely. Um, hey, so. Uh, do the here's a hot take for you, Ray. Do uh, the Maple Leafs do? Maybe they don't need Austin Matthews. Maybe they don't need him. Three and zero without him. Yeah, I think that's probably a really dumb statement. But um, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, so. yeah, no, some ugly wins. But that's all right. They're figuring it out. That's yeah, good. well, it is because you you put points in the bank, mm-hmm. and um, there are you know there's certainly been some positive signs with with Matthew out that. Um, you know, Bolzak, Marner, and Van Riemsdyk have really, you know, kind of hit a, you know, a, a level that looks a lot closer to last year. Uh, Friday and Saturday in Boston, against Boston and in Boston, uh, Marner really looked like he mm-hmm. had the puck on his stick a lot. And yes, of course, he scored a goal, which will, you know, make him happy. And, yeah. you know, in some of the, in some of the critics, uh, a little less, uh, a little less focused on that. But it was the fact that he had the puck a lot. Um, Van Riemsdyk has scored more with less minutes. Uh, that seems to be a real sweet spot for him. Um, there, there's just, I mean, the, the the issues for Toronto were there uh, before Matthews got hurt. They're there after. That's yep. you know the defense isn't going to be good enough. They're going to have to improve it at some point. But they're going to get crowded here really shortly with uh, Soshnikov. Uh, Nikita Soshnikov had to get called up yesterday, yeah. or he could uh, go back to the KHL. So they called him up. Not a big move because with Matthews out, uh, they don't have to do anything. If Matthews comes back, Goche goes back to the minors. But they're they're going to get crowded uh, at forward, and there will be a time they'll be able to move somebody for a defenseman. They'll, you know, yeah. I, I have no doubt that they'll look for that type of move. Um, but you yeah. know, they've they've won three straight without Matthews coming off that. You know, they had a brutal road trip. They won the first game, and then Matthews has been out since yep. at home. Um, but I, man, I didn't, I, I thought that was, you know, this was going to be a bad time for him to be yeah. out. Maybe huh? you focus in, and it becomes a good time for him to be out. Yeah, and to me, the goaltending, uh, both goalies stepped up their game. Uh, I don't think that's, it's not like they were like, oh, Matthews is out, I have to play better. They just played better, you know, I thought anyways. Um, oh, right. 100%. I mean, it's not like they try harder. No, no. It's just. They they had two they had a couple of real good games on the weekend and they needed them. Yep, uh, absolutely. Let's uh, let's get to, to Weeks. Uh, let's talk to NHL former NHL goaltender now with the NHL Network, Kevin Weeks, and uh, see what he thinks about a bunch of stuff, including goaltending. Right. Uh, let's get right to him. And now, as promised, on the uh, Paul Pocky Podcast Show with Ray Ferraro, former NHL goaltender, now working for the NHL Network. The man was traded straight up for Pavel Bure. At least that's what I think. Anyways, Kevin Weeks, what's up, Kevin? How are you, man? I'm great, thanks. How are you? We're good. Thank you for coming on the show. Ray and I have been touching on this emotional support pig story that we read, and we both fly a lot, and uh, it's unbelievable. It so this lady, boards, but you this lady, this, oh. yeah. So like, we've all seen goofy stuff, right? But like, right. you got to have one or two or three that, as you fly around, what you've seen. Yes, of course. Of course. I, I think the most interesting one, I was talking about this one yesterday, actually, at the barbershop here in New Jersey, is there, there was a gentleman that was flying on a flight 
we're going through security at Pearson Airport, and I was actually going back home to visit some family in Barbados. And the gentleman, we get to the security screening. He has on his, his blazer suit jacket. So as he's going through this, you know, before he goes through, the lady says, okay, do you have anything? Do you want to check your pockets? Nope, no, I'm fine. Okay, sir, any keys, any credit cards, any lint, any paper? It's all going to show up. Then, no, 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 I'm fine. So anyway, he walks through, and then, of course, it goes, you know, beats off. As he gets through on the other side, the security lady comes over. She's like, okay, I'm just going to have to wand you. I just want to make sure everything is fine. And Anyhow, I'm, you know, paying attention. I'm kind of craning my neck. He was the guy uh, basically behind me, so to speak. So now I'm being nosy, full of, you know, full disclosure. I'm being nosy. Why not? As she wands him, she says, sir, there's something in your, in your lapel pocket. Do you mind taking it out? He pulls out a chicken leg. An actual chicken leg, cooked chicken leg. I guess he didn't want to buy food at the airport. I'm not sure what his rationale was. I don't know who the heck does that. I've never seen it before. I've never seen it since. So although that wasn't literally on the flight, right. I couldn't believe my eyes that this guy had what looked to be like, you know, it was cooked. I don't know if it was seasoned. I don't know what it was. No napkin around it, no anything. He pulled out literally a drumstick out of his lapel pocket. I've never seen anything like that before in all my years of flying. It was a now, I, I think, Weezy, I think that's pretty, that's pretty damn good pl- planning by him. Like, maybe he knew. Like, I, the food's expensive, and, you know, I need, I, I've cooked this chicken leg to perfection. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, guys, I've never seen anything like that before. I have not seen anything like that since. It was very interesting, to say the least. Yes, that was well, funny. Okay, so two things you probably know a lot about, flying uh, and goaltending. Sure. And so okay. I know a lot about flying, and I don't know much about goaltending. But explain to me how sure. a guy like Charlie Lindgren, who mm. has not had much success in the American League, like he's been okay, and his numbers this year were under 900 save percentage. Carey Price right, gets correct. hurt, Montoya gets hurt, they call him back up. And the guy's been lights out. How does that happen? So basically what happened, great question. What happened was when they first signed him out of St. Cloud State, they really liked his game. Obviously, they signed him as a college free agent. I spoke to their goalie coach in Stefan Waite. And I've spoken to him recently, but I remember speaking when they first signed him. Like, we like his athleticism. We like how he competes on the puck. He's a battler, and he's, he's talented. So... As you know, Razor, the American League level can be a little bit chaotic. <laughs> the games are scrambling. Yeah. There isn't necessarily as much structure. You know, the odd team will maybe play a similar style to their NHL team in terms of, you know, systems and what have you. But by and large, you know, it's like being in a blender. It's from night to night. You could have three games in three nights. You may have four and six nights. It's, you've got a lot of young players, especially now more than ever before, tons of young players. And there's just not as much the rhythm to the game is much more chaotic than it would be at the NHL. I guess that's the best way to put it. So in coming up this time around, he's been awesome. And I know that's, that's basically what you're getting at, but he's had the skill set. He, he has a good technical foundation to his game, good technical base. He does compete. He's got pretty good size and he has confidence. And I spoke to Steph the other day, Steph and he's like, listen, I told you we really like this guy right from the beginning. We've been extremely impressed with his game and his talent. Uh, we just want him to just continue believing in himself, competing on pucks, 
And he's, you know, he, he couldn't have any better things to say about it. His work ethic, his practice habits, he wants to be a good goalie in the league. He wants to establish himself as an NHL goalie. And keep in mind, this is not, you know, this is a different situation than young Dylan Ferguson out of Kamloops, who had to get in the net right. last yeah. night for the Golden Knights, right, guys? Like, yeah. you know, we've all, you know, Razor, we played junior, and I knew, you know, going to my first NHL training camp I, as, a, as an 18-year-old, I knew I was talented. I knew I was athletic. I knew I had skill. But to do that on a nightly basis at the NHL level is a big step. But point is, my rookie year in the American League, I was the number one goalie and played number one minutes. You know, my first two, three years, same thing in the IHL. So this guy's had some seasoning behind him in Lindgren. He's got experience. He's played a lot of games at the NHL level. And he brings that with him. Even though the numbers weren't great, he brings that pro experience with him. And i got to give him a lot of credit, fellas, to go in there in Montreal as we all yeah. know, and to go in there in Montreal in the absence of Carey, who we know is all world, but is really struggling this season, and to go in there and play the way he's playing is beyond impressive, not only in terms of the result, but also just mentally. That says a lot to me about Charlie Lindgren mentally to be able to step in in that pressure cooker and play the way he's playing right now. And I think the benefit of being a college free agent, being a little older, playing in the American League, and not being a 20-year-old or 21-year-old you know, young pro mm-hmm. from a goalie standpoint, that's a huge benefit to him right now. But he's been fun to watch. He's really good. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, so two years in a row, it struck me as if Henrik Lundqvist is, is kind of lost a little bit off his fastball. He's not quite the same guy that he used to be and, well, who is as they get older. Yet, mm. in the playoffs last year, was sensational for for the Rangers in that series against Montreal. Absolutely. This year, the Rangers get out of the gate. They're stumbling all over the place. He's stumbling all over the place. Now, all of a sudden, they've got eight wins in ten games, and he's been terrific. Where, how, how, does, how does the goaltender get off the beam and back on the beam when you've got a, a skill set that's probably edging towards, you know, past your best? How does he do that? Right. You know, one of the things about Hank is he his work ethic is off the charts, guys. I played with him his first two years. His, his first, so let me get, let me break it down. I played with him his, his rookie year and his second year, and we were on the ice early every day with Danny Ayer, who's one of the best goalie coaches in the business. You know, not too dissimilar to a Roly Melanson, who you mm-hmm. guys would have known in Van, and you see yeah. what Roly's doing yeah. again in, in Jersey. Similar routine, right? Similar approach. So on the ice early every day. Even as Henrik had immediate success and has had subsequent success, he still works like a grinder, guys. That, like, don't let the hair, I always tell people, don't let the moose in his hair, don't let the suits, <laughs> don't let the eyes, don't let the stubble, don't let any of that fool you guys. Because that's underselling how competitive this guy is and how hard he works. So from that work ethic, and I'd agree with you, Razor, he's not always able to bail out the Rangers the way he had in years past. They're also no longer a shot-blocking team. You know, as they were under torts, they're not as much of a shot-blocking team. They still have guys that will sacrifice, but it's a different group. You know, you don't have a Ryan Callahan. You don't have Dubinsky. You don't have a Mike Ruff. You don't have Dan Girardi, more importantly, back there. You know? So it's a different team in terms of their makeup, in terms of how they defend in the D zone. But it's interesting. Earlier in the season, the first three games that I went to, including the opener, which is weird because he was so great for Team Sweden at the, over at the Worlds, as you know, they won gold. And Razor, yeah. you would know you're there. 
he didn't seem like himself. He looked to be in between to me. He was in between on his save selection at times, and at times he was in between, you know, on his reads. And as you just talked about, when you're a half second, just a millisecond off, and at, with age, usually that doesn't end up in your favor, right, as far as the goalie. Yeah. But what's been interesting is once the Rangers have hit their stride, guys, and they're playing with speed, they're attacking, they're pushing the pace, what's interesting to me is watching him now, he's in the right spot early, he's trusting his save selection and making the right save selection at the right time. When he can challenge, he'll challenge, which is a read. When he needs to be deep for his crease, which we've known him for, which is also a read, he'll do that. He seems so much more on point. So I spoke to him at the Garden the other night after the game against Columbus. I was like, Hank, man, what's going on? What's the latest? How are you feeling? He's like, ah, you know, I still don't feel great. There's a lot of goals in this league, but we're just battling. He's like, we're just battling right now. I feel better, but I don't feel great. I know that I was making mistakes. I still feel like I'm making some, but I'm turning the corner, and we're scoring goals. So he's like, listen, man, you know, if if we're going to win and we're going to score goals, that's all that matters. Which, which to me shows me a lot of maturity because, you know, you know, we all love our numbers. And especially as a goalie, you want your numbers to be good, especially as a future Hall of Famer. In his case, he wants his numbers to be great. But I, I like the mature approach that he's taken to the fact that they're scoring goals now, guys. And he's just going to continue to ride the wave. But the bottom line is he works, he works super hard, and that's a big part of his success. You guys got to see Roberto. You got to see Schneids. You saw yeah. what those guys did for the city. You saw what they did with the team. And Roland Melanson was a big part of that. But those guys worked their tails off. And, uh, and that's why Roberto's a future Hall of Famer. And it's going to be the same thing with Henrik. They, they, they've got that work. So when, when you're working that hard, Razor, you know you're able to kind of get your game back. It's just a matter of time because you keep doing all the right things. It's like a scorer that goes in a drought like Sid. And he's around the net last night. And he ends up, you know, getting yeah. on the board and making great plays and scoring a goal and leading to the game winner with that assist. Um, so you, you're in Jersey, you live there now, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so you see the Devils a pile. I've had mm-hmm. them twice this year. I've got them Thursday in Toronto, and mm-hmm. it's okay. incredible to me how they've, in the last couple of years, drafted um, and signed enough players that they're they're a fast team now. They're you know they're an offensive team. They're going to get Travis Zajac back. It looks like yep. on Thursday. Correct. Would you at all be hesitant to take his year off that top line because it looks like Zajac's going to go back in, you know, with Hall and Paul Mary? Would you would you be hesitant at all to break that up? I would be a little bit hesitant just because you know they they have they have some really good chemistry right now as a team. They they play exceptionally well as you're just talking about. I mean, I can't even believe it's the same Devils team with their speed, <laughs> believe their puck control. I can't believe it. I can't believe it's the same team. I mean, we all we've all known Ray for a long time. Uh, I give Ray a lot of credit, and that's you, Ray, but also Ray Shiro. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very bright, very bright as you know, very astute. He's got a great feel for the game. He grew up in the game. He's got an exceptional feel for the game. He had a big impact, obviously, on on Pittsburgh's blueprint and their success, but. As I look at that top line, you got Hall, Taylor Hall on the left, Nico Hischer down the middle, of course, and Paul Marys are just saying down the right. I would, I would almost leave that line intact because right now the way Jesper Brock is playing, and you just talked about how they're drafting, that's a six-round pick, guys. Yeah. The guys that's a six-round pick. Crafty, entering the Ozone, can slow it down, can go east-west, can also skate with pace. 
can make plays, he can finish. He's not afraid, you know, to go in traffic or to work the boards. I mean, I like that the way Drew Stafford's playing right now too. He's been a nice, positive contribution for them. Well, so, just think, Stafford scores. Stafford has to. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say, Stafford scores some, and I like Trav. I've been playing with Trav, and you know, he's done enough games, Razor, to, to, yep. to know Travis Ajax well. That's a dependable, two-way guy, but he's going to do a lot of the heavy lifting in the B zone, and be responsible down low and. He's got some offensive instincts, so I like that second line, the way it's composed right now, as long as he sure can continue to handle those top-line minutes. If he can't, then I would swap them. Well, it looks like they're going to play Hishier and Bratt uh, together with Stafford. I wonder if Stafford has that moment, like, like I certainly did as I got older, where I'm like, oh, man, I just got old. My <laughs> line mates are 18 and 19 years old. I played in Atlanta with Kovalchuk and Heatley. I remember, yep. And, and they were, I was like, I don't even know what these guys are talking about anymore. <laughs> I just, I'm just like a stunt dummy out here. I win a face-off, I go dig a puck out of a corner, and I give it to one of those two guys, and they do whatever the hell it is they do, and I stay out of the way. I wonder, I wonder if he feels like that at all, because it happens fast. That's fair. You know what, though, Ray, you were still an effective player. We played against you guys in Atlanta a lot, and you guys could score. <laughs> that's one thing that's no, you're nice man you're very polite score. no it's true we, we were in the southeast I was in Carolina we played against you guys a lot that line and I mean that team in general was able to score they couldn't defend out of a paper bag but definitely had skill I would think so for Trav I mean guys this has been a, several injuries for Travis Najak unfortunately you know he's been nicked yeah. up with the Achilles and then now the torn pec timing Conditioning. I mean, he's always, you know, a well-conditioned guy. He's long, lanky frame, but he was never a burner in terms of speed. But, uh, yeah, if I was him, you know, I would do a lot of the plugging down low. He doesn't necessarily lead, need to lead the rush. One of the great things about Brat, to your point, is Brat can carry the mail. He can carry the puck through the neutral zone. You know, he has hands. He has the, the hands and hockey sense of a center. So, to me, that's a big advantage. When you're a center iceman, if you're playing with another winger, that handles the puck like a center iceman, you don't always have to be a puck carrier. You know, it's, no, just, it's not dissimilar from, you know, what we've seen, yep. you guys see in Van with the Sabines for years. It doesn't matter which one's carrying the puck. Mm-hmm. They both can handle it. They both can dish it. They both think the game. And it's the same thing, you know, in, in Toronto now, obviously Austin's injured, but with Will and Nylander. Will and Nylander can handle the puck as well as most centers. He thinks the game as well as most centers. So Austin doesn't always have to, you know, be high-stepping with it through the neutral zone. I think that helps... I definitely think that'll help Travis, to your point, Razor. And, you know, just be a support guy, be a glue guy, do the lifting in the D zone. And, you know, he, he always has that kind of unselfish way about him. Even when it was him, Parisi, when I was playing in Jersey at the end of my career, it was him, Parisi, and, and Langenbrunner. You know, Langenbrunner was the heavy four-check guy. Jamie Langenbrunner had a really good career. He was the heavy four-check guy. Uh, Zach was, you know, more of the speed at the time, tempo, skill guy. And Travis did, just did all the little things to make that line as lethal as it was. Of the, of the teams, uh, last one for me here, Weeksy, of the teams Ooh. that we all guessed that might be good or might be decent this year, um, I'd say I'm running at about 70% right. 30% of them I got totally wrong. Uh, one of them I thought would be pretty good and I'm really loving watching play is Tampa. And they're the oh, best gosh. team in the league. Yes. They they just they attack from everywhere. And I guess what I'm 
you know, for me, what stokes me the most there is that Stamkos is back to being what we remember him before, you know, the tough couple of years that he's had. Uh, what jumps out at you there past, say, Stamkos and Kucherov, who have just been amazing to start? Yeah, I, I, spoke, to, I, I spoke with Stamkos probably about three weeks ago now, just about three weeks ago, and said, hey, listen, I see a lot of similar similarities with, with you and Kucherov that I see with you and, and Marty, St. Louis. He said, yeah, you know, we, see we, are, we do have a lot of that. A lot of what we do uh, is on instinct, our reads, our timing, our spacing in the ozone. You know, the way we can play off each other, we're both unselfish. We can both dish, but we can obviously both finish. But so that's the best one-two punch in the league right now in terms of production. No question, that line's been electric this year. But I would also say this as well, guys. Let's go back to the net in the first place. Their goalie, Andre Vasilevsky, is a stud. He's an absolute stud. I remember talking to him during Stanley Cup final against Chicago in 13. And I was, whoa, hold on a second. You're getting in the net at 20? You're not. Literally, I was biting my fingernails for him. Aren't you nervous, Vasi? He's like, oh, I just go play. Like, no. No big deal. You know, Bish is injured. They tell me to play, I play. If no play, no play. But his work ethic as well, we all know how hard Stammer trains and how hard he works. Tyler Johnson's in that group. That's a very hard-working, committed group on and off the ice in terms of, you know, their commitment to fitness and everything else. Andre Vasilevsky might be the hardest-working guy on the team. Typically the last guy to leave the rink, one of the first guys there. Very mature, very committed to his craft. And without Ben Bishop, the training wheels are off. He's been amazing. He's been great. Steve Eisenman nailed that one. And by the way, a first-round pick, too. Yeah. Um, he's, he's been great, and that gives them confidence. Razor, you're an offensive player. When you're getting saves from your goalie, that allows you to feel confident to make that extra play, right? Like to hang on to the puck a little bit longer, to maybe try a play that has a little bit of a higher quotation mark risk around it. Because you know, hey, hey, Vasquez back there. He's kicking. He's going to make saves for us. So I think that's huge. I'd also say... Victor Hedman is Victor Hedman. I think he's a Norris Trophy candidate. You know, I, I love his game. Shawman is steady and really good, but Sergachev is amazing. I really love that guy. I love Sergachev. I really like his game. That young defenseman, Russian defenseman, played in Windsor, won the Memorial Cup. He was almost a point-of-game guy in, during his time in Windsor. I think he was ready last year. I'm not saying that it hurt him to go back to Windsor. Obviously, he played heavy minutes and won the Mem Cup, but I, I think he is so good. I spoke to Rick Bonus yesterday, their assistant coach, and uh, and Bones was just raving about about his consistency, his approach to the game, his confidence, and basically they've got three pairs that can make a pass, that can make a play, and that are willing to defend on the back end. And then they've got every line that can score. Braden Point and Razor, I'm sure you've you watched him really closely. A very underrated good young player. He's not getting the fans here, but I really like Braden Point's game. I think he's a really good young player, and overall, I'm with you. I think they're the best team in the league right now. Coop and his staff behind the bench have done a great job. For offensive guys, you know, they allow you to be an offensive guy. They encourage you to be an offensive player. And probably the biggest thing that, that Coop has done with that group, too, is has taught them in their playoff runs the value of defending and locking it down, and they've had to do that over you know the course of time with different injuries, like a Stamkos, like a Callahan, I mean, Tyler Johnson, Palat. There's so many guys that have been in and out of the lineup the last two to three years that they've learned to be competitive and to be complete, they have to defend. So 
I'm, I'm all in on you. You, you. If that's one of your 70% teams, Razor, <laughs> count me in. Give me the 1% and I'll make it 71. I, I love Tampa. I love watching them play. Ray, I really uh, do. Ray's been calling Tampa. We did our season preview. We did our, our, our shows over the, before we wrap it up. And, Ray, and even though they missed the playoffs, Ray has been on Tampa uh, for a while now. So he, Yeah, but I've been pretty quiet about the ones I've swung and missed on. So yeah. we'll wait until <laughs> one of them come back a little bit. True. Um, before we wrap up, Kevin, uh, I'll, I got a couple sure. of questions. Uh, you went yeah, to the, of course. You went to the finals with Carolina, of course. Uh, had a good run in the playoffs. But I got a find out your your best stories that you can tell over you know for the public about uh, right. Arthur's Urbe and Jeff O'Neill. Uh, Urbe is <laughs> I mean Urbe is a, a legend with that mask and the equipment and then of course O-Dog. Yeah I would say as far as Archie goes you know for a lot of the goalie lovers out there and we got a big community so you know shout out to not only the boys and girls that play, but I always say the men and women, too, that play adult rec, and they might be playing at eight rinks maybe tonight. <laughs> um, as an example, Archie Herbe was an awesome teammate, a great person. Ironically, at the same agent in Paul Theofanis, uh, high integrity. But here's the thing with Archie. Never took anything for granted. The best part about Archie is, Razor, you'll appreciate this. So growing up as a kid, right, as a youngster, we didn't have street hockey pads. My parents were going to Canadian Tire to buy me pads for the rink and then pads for the street. It wasn't happening. So what we did was when people would throw out sofas and couches, we'd cut the cushions. We'd take the sponge out of the cushion, and we'd make pads with them, right? And then you cobble together. You got a baseball glove, an old Cooper, old Rawlings baseball glove. Maybe you got like a winter glove, like a mitt or whatever as your blocker. Away you go, get the tennis ball out, and away we go, right? You're playing street hockey. That's Archie playing in the NHL. <laughs> That's Archie Urbe in the NHL. Like, I don't know what's wrong with the blocker, but I must, I must fix the blocker. Archie, <laughs> what do you mean you must fix the block? We're in the league. Just go and tell, just go and tell Wally, our trainer in Carolina, or Bobby, or Skippy, go and tell one of those guys you need a new blocker. Yeah. No way. I can't do that. Waste not, want not. <laughs> and literally, literally, guys, I kid you not, this guy's in the locker room at the NHL level, literally sewing his gear out of quotation marks appreciation, sewing and repairing his, his gear in the intermission. Uh, I could, like, I couldn't believe it. But he was very so good. Again, that that yeah, but that goes back to. You know, his time growing up in Latvia and then, you know, the old USSR and his experiences and things mm-hmm. were hard. You know, things were difficult to come by, right? And you know that, Razor, internationally, it was hard yeah. for those guys to get equipment at the time. And he never Well, you'd see some of the gear that. those guys would wear, eh? Some of the gear they'd right. wear at the Worlds and you'd be like, <laughs> oh, man. I remember one year Sean Burke gave his right. goalie gear at the end of the World Championships, gave it to the Polish goalie. Now, oh, my Burke God. had worn this gear for you know for most of the season the guy it was like christmas he was so happy to get it. totally berkey was just happy he didn't totally have to that. bring it home yeah, exactly right <laughs> <laughs> i could see that um and in the case of o-dog you know jeff o'neill and i played against played minor hockey against each other really we played minor hockey it's interesting watching jeff o'neill he played in richmond hill which is you know a suburb a little bit north of toronto but we we played against each other in minor hockey. We played against each other in junior, like tier two, junior B. 
He was at Thornhill, I was at St. Mike's. And then uh, we played against each other, of course, in the O. I was in Owen Sound and then Ottawa, and he was in Guelph. He was always a very prolific skater. But what's really weird to me, guys, is O was always a disher. Always. Because he was a centerman for, for the longest time coming up. Always a disher. And I remember the Titans that he used to use. It was the black Titan with the kind of hot pink uh, lettering. <laughs> Razor, I don't know if you remember those. I was a, I was a gear guy. Uh, mine mine were red with white, and the reason you used them in junior because the teams bought them because they never broke. Yeah, they never broke. Those <laughs> things were so heavy. The last guy I remember using those was the Big E, the Big E, Big Eric Lindros, and his felt like you know it, it felt like a, an oak tree somewhere in, uh, yeah, yeah. in the Okanagan. <laughs> but uh, he was the last guy. But Jeff O'Neill, his stick used to be straight, guys. He had like a pretty straight blade, and he would skate through the neutral zone dish. And him and Bertuzzi, him and Bert played together in Guelph. I mean, they were magic, of course. But he was a disher. And then all of a sudden he got to the league, and he became a shooter. <laughs> like, out of nowhere. He be- I'm like, oh, is that- who are you? I don't even know you anymore. And then, we, you know, of course, we played together in Carolina. And ornery, you know, Irish, dry sense of humor. Always had something yeah. to say. <laughs> <laughs> always had something to say. But more intelligent than you, people probably would give him credit for. He's done a great job of transitioning now and, and being on television, being an analyst, etc. But uh, a really, really high-skilled player, competed. And, you know, Razor, obviously you know oh well. I think that a lot of the older guys that he played with along the way really helped him. Now, I know in Carolina, yeah. Ronnie Francis and Roddy Brindamore did a great job with him, but I think the same thing in Hartford, as you'd know. Uh, a lot of the older guys that he played with really helped him just, just realize that, hey, man, you're a high pick. You've got the world of skill, but you've got to work. <laughs> you've got to compete. And, Razor, for your example, you know, based on your size in the NHL that time, there wasn't a lot of free time and space to make plays. Like, there were big guys no. who had to go against. The way the rules were, you know, they weren't conducive to skill players like you guys. So I think that that really helped them being around good pros, older guys that – had been doing it and, you know, were NHLers and that had good careers and that had Hall of Fame careers and that were all-stars. And I think a lot of, a lot of you know, that type and you type of players had a big impact on O. And I think that led to him having as much success as he did in Carolina. I would say, Weeksy, just as a last note, the rules then, they weren't rules. They were more like guidelines. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's, so That's all they got. You know, so we had to That's wrestle so our true. way around there, but a little different than now. Totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, well, listen, like we were just looking at clips. We had the Hall of Fame show, you know, they threw to us after the induction ceremony two nights ago. And, you know, we were talking, it was Ryan Whitney and I on the set. And we were just talking about it, and we saw, you know, viz of Paul Korea flying through, flying, oh. making plays. But then you know, the same thing, obviously, with Timu. But then on the other side of that, you, you saw Big D. Manson, I mean, I could go up and down the list. These guys just mauling them down low. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just mauling those guys. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. But yeah, it was, it was and the ref yelling, NHL, the ref yelling sure. from the corner, that's enough. <laughs> that's and enough. But the still go on. Right. You go, that's yeah, enough. Totally. You'd be like, what the hell yeah. do you mean that's enough? I'm getting killed in here. <laughs> Sir, you, you got four stinky gloves, two cross checks to the lower back, and you're like, oh, so now it's enough after the sixth right. infraction? Like, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, sure, ref. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but we talked about this. I don't want to keep you guys up. I know we talked about this on the plane razor the other day on our flights back out west. One thing that really impressed me is 
a lot of teams now are allowing their D to be a part of the attack. And before, yeah. there were only a few teams. You know, obviously, if you were a Paul Coffey or Bork or Blakey and a couple other guys that had the green light to do it. And then internationally, it'd be Team Canada. They'd be like, oh, my gosh, look at the way these guys are playing. It's Team USA's. Oh, my God, Brian Leach is jumping. Chelios is jumping, whatever. But um, it, it, it's really impressive to see now so many coaches allowing the D to be a part of the rush or get up in the play or be an option in the offensive zone. It's, uh, it's, made, it's made it more enjoyable to watch. And for, for the offensive players, I mean, it, it certainly helps. Now you're not playing three-on-five in the old zone, Razor. It's, you know, if you've got a D on the ice that can make a play or two, now you're playing five-on-five down low instead of three-on-five. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're right about that. Um, thanks for the time, Kevin. Appreciate it, man. Uh, good work on NHL Network. man. Thank you. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having me on, Razor. Appreciate it, fellas. Hey, Weeksy, thanks for your time, buddy. And uh, we will run into you down the road, and we'll, we'll see you on a TV in our living room every night for the next hundred nights. <laughs> oh, man. All right, man. Keep up the great work, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. Good stuff from Weeks. And, uh, Ray, it's possible that Arthur's Urbe used the exact same equipment. The reason I ask is he used the exact same equipment from 92 to probably 2002. It looked like the same stuff. Well, that those big square white pads. <laughs> right. And if you got close to him, his gloves looked like he dragged them behind the car to get them to the rink. But when Weeksy did his imitation of waste not, want not, that's outstanding. Uh, Now, he is right. Um, uh, Arthur Zerbe is one of the the true great people that's been around the game. Um, He he loves to talk, loves to talk about hockey. Um, I've always really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed being around him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's he's he seemed like a character, and that that cage, the cage. I can't couldn't, couldn't oh. get over the cage. How could you even see out of it? You might as well have worn a blindfold. I know, absolutely. All right, um, a couple more things. Uh, so the Hockey Hall of Fame class was honored uh, this past week, and I 100 percent agree with you, Ray. Uh, there should be no games uh, scheduled. Now it was a light schedule; it was only two games, but let's not have any games. Let's not do anything. Two games is too many. Um, there was a couple of years ago, um, I'm going to forget who from Pittsburgh was being inducted and the Penguins played that night. Right. And so people couldn't be there. I mean, like that, that shouldn't be a thing. Um, there should be a a league wide focus on the hall of fame. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be a secondary, um, you know, a secondary event. Mm -hmm. And so, well, it shouldn't. It's not that it's a secondary event. It shouldn't be a divided attention day. Yeah, it should be the Hall of Fame, and that's it. All your media is in Toronto for the celebration, for the inductions, for the speeches. Yep. To me, that's that's. It, it's really not that difficult. Uh, as you pointed out, there was just two games. Put them on another day. Yeah. Just don't have them then. It's it's amazing. It's and you know all these executives that probably wanted to go, maybe couldn't because their teams are playing or coaches or anybody. You know, yeah, I agree, hundred percent. Um, so for next year, Marty Brodeur, a lock in, in, uh, Marty St. Louis. I think he's in too. Well, the, you know, the interesting part of the hall of fame selection is you need 14 votes out of 18 to get in. And, um, I'm assuming, even though they say they don't, I'm assuming there is, as people are discussing it in the room about how about this guy, how about that guy? I think 
um, you probably get a decent sense about which guys are close or which guys are in. Um, so let's go through, you know, you've got Marty St. Louis, you've got Alexander McGillney, uh-huh. you've got, uh, these are guys that have been around, you know, that um, not just first-year eligibles. Yeah. So Alexander McGillney, uh, Pierre Turgeon, Theron Fleury, Steve Larmer. Alfredson. Um, Alfredson. Daniel Alfredson. Now these guys, they're all about the same, if you ask me. Um, and the reason being that in no case, in, in my opinion, should, be, should being on a Stanley Cup winner be a default uh, no. plus yeah. for yeah. you. Yeah. Because you could be on a Stanley Cup team and be kind of like an accidental tourist. Yeah. Right? You're just yeah. there. Yeah. Um, that year, you could be a great player that's on a Stanley Cup team at the end of your career. And it, and it, to me, it doesn't push you over the top. It's not the Hall of Fame for great teams. It's the Hall of Fame for great players. The problem the Hall has is that there are players in that they have voted in, in, in my opinion, that are very good. And the problem when you, when you vote in very good players mm-hmm. is that brings in a whole bunch of very good players into the mix. And I think it should be for the great. Yeah. It shouldn't be for the very good. Yeah, no, and so uh, yeah. you say you so so you say Saint Louis. Yeah, I think he's going to be close. Mm-hmm. Um, what about Jeremy Roenick? I yeah. think he's good. I think he's close. And so you've got now the guys we've just mentioned in this little bit here. There's six or seven or eight of them that are going to be real close. But you know what's going to happen is a lot of them the vote's going to get split, mm-hmm. and thirteen doesn't get you in. You yeah, fourteen. I'm surprised you even know the 14 out of 18, Ray, because those guys are pretty secretive. I mean, I've talked to Eric Duhatschuk and yep. Lanny McDonald. I've, I've seen some interviews with Lanny, who's the chairman, and they don't give away anything. I'm surprised you even know that, to be honest. Yeah, I see. I would like the ballots to be yeah. like they are for baseball. Yeah, yeah, I agree. As, as goofy as baseball is, they've got guys that haven't been to major league games in 25 years, yep. and they're still on the voting thing. You know, they've got to tighten up the way they do it, too. But um, if I were voting... I would have no trouble yeah. making my list public. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I, I don't know why it needs to be done in secret. It, 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 that the only problem with doing it in secret is that it opens up the possibility of horse trading behind the door. Yeah, yeah. And you vote for my guy, I'll vote right. for your guy. I, see, I don't like that. Um, Pierre Turgeon, highest score, not in the hall. So that's something to think about. And, and see, and you know, uh, sorry, Steve, yeah. and that's that's basically the numbers forced Dave Andrichuk in. Yep, yep, they really because did. In yep. my mind, Dave Andrichuk never struck me as a Hall of Fame player, but he had six hundred and whatever goals. And so, if it's about numbers, which clearly it has to be at some point or is, yeah. then Dave Andrichuk's in. Yep. And now, you know, Pierre Turgeon's over a thousand points. Oh yeah, that's pretty darn good. Thirteen twenty-seven. Over a point a game, you know. Yep. And so, uh, why would why would he not be considered? And I bet you he's not high on that list. Uh, you mean the list of the the guys or the list all of, the all possibility? Oh yeah, yeah, of, yeah, of yeah possibilities. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Theo Fleury, I think too. He obviously had some issues off the ice and hung it up a bit early, but over a point a game and in the era he played in, I mean that he was phenomenal. He's you know. Yeah, I, he he has to be in the mix. That's, but see, this is the thing, uh, Steve, is that all those guys we mentioned, you can clump them in a very small circle. And and while they were all different players, mm-hmm. 
I would say you, you, you know, they all went about it differently. I would say it's really difficult to differentiate between yeah. them. Wendell Clark. I would think about Wendell. You would. Nobody else will. Oh, that pains me. Um, also, too, by the way, we did a show last year with Team Mussolini. It was a really good show, um, and he talked about Paul Correa coming back to the game and he how bitter Paul was and how you know think he hasn't you know wasn't stoked with the way things were going with him and concussion treatment and everything else. And it was a really cool interview by Timu right here on the on the show. And now, of course, Paul got in and Timu got in together, and and all these features were done on Paul. It was really cool to see. Don't you think, Ray? I loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love the fact that they're, they're in. I thought it was fabulous that they were in together because clearly there's a, there's a special connection there, and you don't often think of one without the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Paul's speech was spectacular. Um, and, uh, you know, the way he ended it about talking about, you know, being prepared and being focused and do your work and then – don't worry about what you can't control. Like just go and, and play. I just, I thought his message was was outstanding, and um, I'm glad if it's even just for the weekend. Uh, I'm glad that Paul was back around the game. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, before we get to the questions quickly, and we're going to talk about this more uh, as it comes closer, Ray. But the CHL right now is kind of on the fence about loaning out players to the Canadian and U.S. Olympic teams. Um, I 100% think that they should. I don't know why they wouldn't want to. There'd be great exposure. I mean, I get the the parent teams will lose the the services of these guys, but I mean, when, when well, t- well, that's you know. yeah. But you say they're going to lose them. It's not just for ten days or two weeks. Most of the anybody that would be considered mm-hmm. uh, for the Olympic team will also be on the World Junior team. So that means they would lose those players, that team, which is a business, which is you know trying to make money. That's what businesses do, as you know. They're uh, they would lose that player December 15th mm-hmm. to January 6th. And then they would probably lose him in the last week of January mm-hmm. through the last week of February. Like, how how are they going to agree to that? Well, what about the player's growth and the exposure and everything else? You know? Oh, that's nice. Gro- yeah, good. So I'll... I'll I want to be compensated for the growth. This is my player. As a result of him not being in the lineup, um, I'm not going to have fans come to my game. I might miss the playoffs because really, my best player is gone for two months. Do you really think less tickets are going to be sold because you know one superstar is off? Yeah, if you don't make the playoffs and you lose four home games, wow. that's 20,000 tickets. It's, it's ridiculous. I, I, we're going to have to agree to disagree. Yeah, it is ridiculous. <laughs> it would be ridiculous to ask a team to go without their best player for two months. Much like the NHL said no, I think the junior team should say no, unless I can be compensated for it. Really? And what happens if my player, yes, and what happens if my player goes over there and gets hurt? And in most cases, that junior player is going to go over there and play four minutes a game. No, I want to, no, I think there'll be a lot of ice for these guys, don't you think? I mean, the elite guys, a couple of, you know, don't you? I, I think you would be surprised. Really? Okay. Because yeah, yeah. in a lot of cases, the, and I think people will be, you know, they'll look at this tournament and, of course, it's impossible to look at it and not say, well, it would be better if the NHL players are there. Yeah. But in a lot of cases, the reason that some of these guys aren't in the NHL, a lot of these guys, are that they couldn't handle the um, the smaller rinks, the physical play, the, the consistency of a day-to-day mm-hmm. uh, in the NHL. And they go to Europe and they're explosive players. They're different players. And it's a different game. The, 
So to expect an 18-year-old to go there and to outplay a 26-year-old on a rink that he's never played on or has played very little on, I think would would be quite rare. If Lindros can make a Canada Cup roster when he's still a junior, you know. He's a Hall of Fame player. Yeah, but. I'm more excited. I, I'm. I'm honestly. He's six foot four. He, yeah. But he Steve, that's huge. a bad argument. He's six foot four. Well, even when he was in junior, and he was playing on a small rink, he wasn't going the other way. It is incredibly different to play on a big rink. Well, no, it, it's it's not. It's barely the same game. Well, CHL should let these guys go. That's the bottom line, right? Well, <laughs> that that's fine. Why don't you give away half of your revenue uh, out of your show uh-huh. um, to to go and. Do something else, or to have your show right. Uh, right. produced or played somewhere else, and you don't get to collect the revenue from it. Why don't you do that? Well, because it would be stupid to do that. Uh, so you're all, you're clearly you you are Team CHL right now. I, I like that. We'll, we'll see what happens. I, I am. Yeah. I, I don't often support them. Yep. I don't. You know. I don't agree with some yeah. of the things that yeah, yeah. that they do. But uh, in this case, if you're asking these operators to uh, give up their best players at the World Juniors, which they do, yep. because the, you know, there is there is a payoff for that. Um, but to let to have those guys lose their best players for that month plus the subsequent month, I I, I just I wouldn't I wouldn't be involved or I wouldn't be supportive of that if I were one of the owners or uh, since you asked me, I'm not supportive of it now. Uh, I'm honestly more excited for this Olympics than I am for when the NHL players were going. I really am. I, I want these guys are going to be everyone's going. It's such a who knows who's going to do well. I mean, I guess if the KHL releases their guys, Russia will be a, a big favorite. But I, I'm stoked. I think this is going to be a really cool tournament, man. Uh, I uh, I do too. Yep. Now I do too. I do understand why people will be less than enthused at the start. But as the yes. uh, as the the event goes on, how often do the Winter Olympics or Summer Olympics start? And three days in, you find yourself, man, I've been watching these things nonstop. I'm yeah. watching people that I don't know compete. And to a certain extent, that's what the hockey, I believe, will look like. Yeah. You'll be watching Canada. It just won't have Sidney Crosby on it. It won't have Connor McDavid on it. Yeah, it would be way better if they were in it. But they're not. And I think people will still be invested into watching their country play. Not for me. See, I, I I looked at Canada as a heavy favorite, and they rolled through it, and it was like whatever. And now I I don't know who's going to win. I don't know who's going to throw together a roster, and and I, I'm excited. I really am. I think it's going to be awesome, and I hope CHL guys get to go. So there. All right. Well, I think you'll be wrong, but that's not the first time. <laughs> All right, let's get to some uh, some reader emails and tweets for Ray Ferraro uh, here on the Pulp Hockey Podcast Show. Uh, this is from Steve in White Rock. Um, uh, sorry, Steve, I don't have Twitter, so uh, I'll try this method. During the last podcast with Ken Daniels, he mentioned there have been a scary moments on the Red Wing plane. What were Ray's experience with team travel? Did he ever experience any scary moment with flying, and did he have teammates that did not like to fly? What was uh, the worst you absolute, had? Yeah. Absolute, absolutely had teammates that didn't like to fly. Eddie Olchuk hated to fly. Hated it. Couldn't stand it. Uh, he's gotten much better, but at the time, he, he hated it. Uh, scariest time I had on a on a flight, we were with the Kings. Uh, we took off, and within about 15 minutes or so, there was a lot of stuff going on. Like uh-huh. you know, it just you know when things just don't seem right. Yeah. And then we get this uh, 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 announcement saying that we're you're going to have to return to the airport. No big deal, but uh, 
uh, problem with one of the engines. Well, to me, that sounds like a problem, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, and so the plane turns around, but because we had just taken off, they had to dump a bunch of fuel. Oh, geez. Um, uh, so we were out over the ocean somewhere, and they were dumping this fuel. And then, you know, we're kind of, and it was pretty rocky, you know, like bumpy. And so we come into land, and for something that wasn't a big deal, there were sure a hell of a lot of fire trucks parked on the side of the runway. Oh, geez. Which yeah. you're like, you know, I'm not real sure about this. And right. so then we we landed. Uh, everybody was okay. They, you know, we got off the plane, and they did whatever they had to do. And we we left, like, you know, five hours later. They right. told us, go home, and we'll call you when we either have another plane or, and I don't even recall if we had the same plane or a different yeah, one, yeah, but yeah. Um, that was, that was pretty scary. Um, you ever had an aborted uh, landing and then the pilot had to jam it on and go wide open? Yes. I had that a few times. That's not, yeah, that doesn't feel good. Cause no. You, Cause you're close enough that you can see the ground. Oh yeah. And then all of a sudden you can, you're looking at the front of the plane because the thing's going straight up. Right. Straight I up. Like that. Everything's yeah. whining. You know, the motor's wide open. You're yeah. pulling up. I'm just like, Oh boy. Uh, this yeah, is from Carol. This is a good question. I like this. This is from Carol. Uh, great job with the show. I was started listening near the end of last season, and uh, we're one of her favorite shows. Thanks, Carol. She lives in Vancouver, so she, she hears you quite a bit, Ray. All right. Uh, question for Ray. In today's NHL, do you think that tough guys act as a deterrent that keeps star players safer? Do the Penguins benefit from having a guy like Ryan Reeves in the lineup? Uh, do the Canucks... Uh, buy more space and time for Bo Hovat after Derek Dorsett comes on on the power play to fight Josh Manson uh, against Anaheim a little while ago. How much has the role of fighter changed since you were playing? Is there a role for well, these it's, guys? It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's certainly not as prevalent. I mean, there was there used to be two or three guys that would be, you know, yeah. not expected, but you would you would never be surprised if they fought, and that would be you know on a on a game to game basis. Um, does it? It doesn't make the game safer. I I don't think so, um, because in most cases the true heavyweights fight each other. Um, they're not. They were never going to bother a guy like me. Um, the difference of the game was back then you had to be. Um, you, you were more responsible for your own actions. So if I was flashing people around every once in a while, someone would give it back to me, and your choices were either to fight them or to stop. Yeah. Like, there was nobody coming to help you in that point. And so that has changed. Um, and so I don't know if the game is safer because there are less fighters or if it's more dangerous yeah. because there's more hitting and there's less responsibility player to player to player. I, I don't know. Now, Dorset does... Um, has done a good job for Vancouver. He uh, last night they they give up a goal 23 seconds in. He fights Andre or Andy Andrioff right off the next faceoff. And you know people in in yeah. in Vancouver and the story today is that you know the Canucks turned around and they came back and won. And that had a lot to do with it. Well, I think what it does is that Dorset you know puts his foot down and says, "Hey, we're here to compete." I know we're already down one nothing, but the hell with it. Yeah. Here I am, and I'm going to fight because the Kings scored again, and it was two nothing. Right. I was going to say that. Yes. You know, so it's it's not like I don't know that it like it's not like he won the fight. He didn't lose it. Yeah. But he he showed up, and I think that's that becomes important to the pack to the mm -hmm. team. Um, I I don't I don't know that it changes momentum. Um, very often, yeah. 
because most of the fights, fortunately, the guys are are pretty evenly matched, and guys don't get a you know a massive jump on somebody. If somebody gets really thumped, um, I think that the, that team can sag a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, but rarely linesmen jump in quicker than ever nowadays, and you rarely yeah. see. Yeah, yeah, you rarely see just a, a Probert Troy Crowder whatever brawl anymore. Yeah, just, up and up and down the ice, you don't see those anymore. And no, that's probably a good thing. No, um, but to me, I mean Matt Martin on the Leafs, he's been playing well lately for sure. But to me, pull him and put Josh Levo in there. But Babcock would never do that. But I just I don't get that. I just don't get it as a fan. I, I just well, see, I, I think there's certain games when you can smell that you really need it. Okay. And there's other games that you don't. Yep. You know, and so I, you know, I, I think I would probably be uh, more in and out mm-hmm. with with a player like that in my lineup. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. You kind of know the lay of the land and what's coming up or whatever. Right. And um, what you, you look at the other team and you go, and certain teams are more likely to be like that than others. Now, as far as Pittsburgh, they felt too many people were taking liberties uh, with Crosby and Malkin, and I can see why. But the Penguins are built in a way that not only did they not have a guy like Ryan Reeves, they didn't even have a middleweight. Mm-hmm. Like they went, they went from, you know, a guy like Reeves, who is yeah. a, a feared tough guy to nobody. Yeah. And so I, I think they felt they had to address it. The other thing is, and so they add Reeves. The other thing is Reeves can play four minutes in Pittsburgh because they can double shift Crosby and Malkin. They have no trouble doing that. Yeah. So if they pick up 22 or 24 minutes, it doesn't necessarily matter to them. All right. Uh, Justin L. said, uh, Ray, what is the lowest Ray has gone to get under an opponent's skin? Is there anything you regret, Ray, doing, saying? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yep, and I, w- and I would never say it again. And, um, yeah, it was, it was stupid and immature and... And I got punched in the face for it, and I deserved it. Did you ever apologize, or did you just get the punch in the face? Uh, he didn't want anything to do with it, but I, right. I certainly would have. Uh, interesting. Uh, Scott Harris. Ray, uh, is there a new tactical development people may not have noticed or something you envision coming in the near future? I'm thinking of you know a lot of, uh, of alley-oop passes happening now, although that's not something that new, but that's something that more No, but you're doing. right. It is yeah. different because yep. the – you know the the guys can skate onto the puck, and because there's no two line yep. pass, yep. Um, they can just chase right at the defenseman. So the guy's got to field the puck in the air. Yep. He's got to find the um, Cor- Cor- he's got to yeah. find where the traffic's coming from, and he's got to make a play. And the thing's bouncing all over like a tennis ball on a rock pile. So that that is different. Um, Anything else? I, I do see it. I do see a time when power plays um, are aligned a little bit differently because the penalty killers. Um, they are so much more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you come out of your set a little more, and you you might see guys working a little bit closer together, a little bit more two-on-one than spread out around the zone as they are now. All right. Uh, from Jaden, Ray, what is the record for most spaghetti eaten at the Colander, uh, Colander in Trail? Calendar? Oh, the Colander. Colander, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's, what is the record? What is uh, your it record? Be, it, would be an, <laughs> it would be enough to make you sick. So the Colander... This restaurant that's been around since I'm a little kid in Trail, and beforehand, um, you you go in, you order the special. Um, the special is you get salad, um, spaghetti and meatballs, chicken and potatoes, and then ice cream for dessert. But it's as much as you can eat. So you just keep ordering more. And because you can keep ordering more, you're like a glutton, and you just keep eating more. And the sauce is really good, so you just keep eating more because you can eat more. <laughs> 
And there's many times you walk out of there and you're like, oh, man, cannot believe what I just ate. Is this still and there? And okay. they, 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 hand you a, they hand you a menu. Uh-huh. I can't even tell you what's on the menu. Why? They just sit down and you go, I'll have a special. Oh, the special. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what else is on there. I guess they got other stuff, but I just order the special every time. Have you ever been to that place on the road with the, you have a red and a green stick and you just want more meat or no more meat? Yeah, I've had um, yeah, what is that? Brazilian steakhouse. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and you, and then of course the best part about that is you get you get home and you, you, you know, you go to bed and you get full on meat sweats. <laughs> oh, it's so much you feel meat. Terrible, man. You're and like, they, oh yeah, I can. I'll have meat with a side of meat. Right, and they just they, they bring it over and they just scrape it off the meat thing. It's just yeah. disgusting. You're like, yeah, it's really good. But, oh yeah, oh, it's not really good. No, hey, but it's not really good. Exactly. Uh, from John. Uh, contact. Looking back at the 09 draft, would you rather build your franchise around Tavares or Hedman? Actually, a good question now, looking at Hedman. It is a good one. Yeah. Um, probably Hedman, because he can play almost half the game. Yep. But I, I I hate questions like that, because it makes me it makes it sound like sure. I don't want Tavares. <laughs> right, but, right. you know, like, how, how would you... If, they, if you took Hedman, and, and they said to me in this question, okay, you're stuck with John Tavares, no. I'll be fine. I'll be more than fine. Um, that's called being radioed, right? That's what you guys call it, right? Or yeah, you're like, okay, who? You, here's your poll question for today. Right. Like, oh, Ferraro God. says Tavares sucks. Right. That'll be the headline. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's exactly yes. And uh, but in this question, I would take Victor Hedman. Uh, the Dork Knight asks Ray, "Do you ever play hockey for recreation?" <laughs> Never. No interest. Yep. Um, and the reason I say that is. Uh, when people go home from work, they don't do more work for fun. Um, mm-hmm. I played from the time I retired. I had played 33 years of hockey, and um, that was enough. For recreation, I play golf. Yeah. I'm in my backyard. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> I hit, you know, you I are hit not, golf balls into a net. Like that's my recreation. You are not Thursday night beer league in in West Van. No. <laughs> no, that's not happening. Uh, two more from G. Smith. Who was the best stick taper Ray played with? Who was the guy that just went to town on the stick tape? Well, I think I was the neatest stick taper. Oh, were you? Yeah. Like if if I if I had a wrinkle, I had to start over. Oh no way! On the tape. Yep. Uh, so, but then I used to sit next to Luke Robitaille, who would tape his stick in about three seconds. It, there would have wrinkles on it, spaces between the tape. And so one time I said to him, I said, hey, Lucky, there's big spaces yeah. uh, between the tape. And he goes, yeah, it's a big puck. Like, he didn't care less. He didn't care less. <laughs> and here I am, you know, making yep. sure it's all even and smooth. And so I would say that my taping left nothing to be corrected. Now, it didn't help. Right. Nothing worse than you get it taped like that. Yeah. First face-off, some guy, you know, you, you clink sticks together and, and your tape's ripped in half. And you're like, oh, damn. Did Look you, at that. Did you a waste run, of time. Did you run the same knob every – like, did you try to switch different – Always. Everything. The whole year. Your whole 18 years. Oh, the whole whole year, whole career. Yeah, I tried okay. every once in a while to make it a little bigger, a little yep. smaller. And basically what happens is once you get it, you know, the one you're comfortable with, yep. nothing else feels right. You know, in that in your top hand, yeah, yeah. and so I ended up with the uh, the same knob all the time. Very boring, not not too creative, but it was comfortable for me. Did you do the twisting of the tape and make the grip? Yep. yep. 
twisting of it? Okay. Yeah, the grip up top. But then on the shaft of the stick where some guys put stick them or yep. they rub tape on it to make it sticky, I liked mine uh, really smooth. Right, I, didn't, right. I didn't want any, any marks on it. What about the guys who played with like a, basically a roll of tape on the top? Like a stopper. Yeah, I don't. Pat Verbeek had that because right. he had cut off his thumb. Oh yeah, in a yeah. Uh, farming accident, right. and they found it and reattached it. I don't even know how you do that. And then um, uh, it just helped him with the grip on his stick. But his was his was basically a roll of tape. Yeah, yeah. on each stick. I had a buddy who played like that too, and I'm like, how do you even hold that thing? Uh, yeah, I know. I, that wasn't for me. Uh, Jess Danke says, best coach freakout that you were a part of. Who's the coach that just lost it? Um, oh, the most. Uh, pro- probably Kurt Fraser. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had, he had, he had many opportunities to practice. <laughs> right, right, right. But but I would say Kurt's, uh, yeah, yeah Kurt, Kurt could lose it with the best of them. Right, right. All right. Well, uh, that's it. Another exciting edition uh, down the uh, down the tubes. Thanks to Kevin Weeks for coming on. Great, uh, great interview and uh, and great guy. It seems like on the network. So, and uh, and of course, thanks to you people for listening. You can get it on Stitcher. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on any kind of podcatcher or on PaulPocky.com. We'll we'll be there each and every week. And of course, thanks to you, Ray, for educating all of us on the game. Uh, it's awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks to Weeksy. Thanks for people listening and. Uh... Uh, We will expect a report on your new boots by the time you get back. Fantastic. All right. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Ray. Later, Steve.